Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. We got two finals. It was a doubleheader yesterday. In Game 1, the Indians win 3-1 to one over the Twins. In Game 2, it's the Twins taking it with a 6-3 to three win. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And strap in, because we got two games to talk about, four starting pitchers, plenty of offense. We got some stuff to talk about, some storylines in this one. All right, so let's dive into it. Let's start in game one. And I promise this isn't going to be a giant 45-minute episode. But game one, man, what a starting pitching duel. Joe Ryan... The newly acquired Joe Ryan for the Minnesota Twins, his second start against the Indians, and then Tristan McKenzie going on the mound, uh, facing the Minnesota Twins in back-to-back games. And I don't know if you could say McKenzie out-dueled Joe Ryan. Unfortunately, Joe Ryan gets knocked out in the sixth inning by a mile straw uh, comebacker to the mound. So... Uh, would Joe Ryan have finished this game? It was tied 1-1 when Joe Ryan exited the game. So, you know, you never know in baseball. You never know what would have happened uh, if Joe Ryan wasn't forced to come out of this game. But either way, we got a final on our hands. So we got to talk about it. I mean, they were really ridiculously well matched up in this one. Tristan McKenzie goes six innings, three hits, only one run, one walk, and seven strikeouts on 72 pitches. Now, he was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, but he was able to turn them into outs. Joe Ryan goes five innings pitched, three hits, one run, one walk, five strikeouts, Does allow a solo home run to Bradley Zimmer. He throws 67 pitches, was only hard hit three times. So Ryan was really locked in. Both pitchers really going, getting the strikeout. And uh, yeah, it was was quite the pitching duel until the Twins had to go to their bullpen. So let's look at what these pitchers were throwing, what was so effective. Let's look at these strikeouts because, my God, both these guys were really getting the strikeout. McKenzie, the thing I love about McKenzie, and we're going to talk about this with Logan Allen in a second, is that McKenzie was using all four quadrants. All four quadrants. The slider, he was throwing mostly down and away. I mean, that's what a slider tends to do. But the fastball was going to all four quadrants. Up, fastballs down, fastballs in, fastballs out. Uh, The curveball he was dropping at the bottom of the zone, but to the left and right of the plate. So he, I'm telling you, this illustrator here, he is, uh, remember the old Scantron test where you had to really fill in the bubble, make sure that you shaded in the entire bubble? That's what McKenzie's doing here. He is filling up the strike zone with colored dots, uh, which is good to see. And Joe Ryan was doing it on, you know, the same on the other side, way more up with his fastball for Joe Ryan. A lot more fastballs at the top of the zone, not as many to the bottom corners or the bottom edge, one or two. Uh, the slider was sweeping across. More changeups from Joe Ryan. McKenzie doesn't really throw a changeup. He's a three-pitch pitcher. Joe Ryan does mix in that changeup a little bit and that curveball, kind of throwing them to both sides of the plate. So Ryan was filling up. Obviously, McKenzie goes an inning longer, throws a few more pitches. But Ryan was filling it up, but really working that fastball up. So let's see where the strikeouts came. Let's go ahead and filter this look. Let's look just at the strikeouts. 
McKenzie did a good job of getting strikeouts on all his pitches. He's got three fastballs up. He got uh, Byron Buxton to chase. He really gave Buxton a hard time. He got Miguel Sano to chase one, a fastball up, a foul tip for strike three. And he got uh, Ben Rortvet to chase one up. Then the sliders, he got Byron Buxton swinging at a slider. I told you he's really giving Buxton trouble. Buxton on another slider in the sixth inning. Uh, and then he got Ref Snyder uh, frozen on a slider that, frankly, eh, Ref Snyder's got an argument about there. That ball's a little bit out of the zone. Uh, McKenzie gets the call, though, on a 1-2 count in the third inning. And then he got Polanco to swing over a curveball on a 2-2 count in the fourth. So, using all three pitches, but no surprise here, it's the fastball high, it's the slider away. But, in you know, in the strike zone, these ones that Buxton... Uh, struck out on are both in the strike zone. Uh, Buxton's got no one to blame but himself here and this curveball down. Now, one of the things about Tristan McKenzie and Pitching Ninja was all over this. I retweeted it because I wanted everybody, all you Cleveland fans to see it, all you morning people to see it, is that the reason McKenzie's fastball up in the zone is so effective and why he gets so many swinging strikes, right? These pitches are at 93, 93.1, 91.7, the one Buxton swings at in the third inning on an 0-2 count. The reason these fastballs are so ex- uh, effective, even though they're not 97, 98 miles per hour like Garrett Cole's throwing or somebody like that, um, is because of the tunneling and because of the effect of the curveball and the slider off of these pitches. So he had a perfect overlay of what an 80, I think it was like an 81 mile per hour curveball down and into a lefty versus that 93 mile per hour fastball at the top of the zone. And when it comes out of Tristan McKenzie's hand, they are on the same path for just a second. For just a second, they're coming at that hitter on the exact same path before that curveball just drops and bottoms out and that fastball rises into the catcher's mitt at the top of the zone. Now, what does that do as the hitter? It makes you pause for just a second. For a split second as a hitter, you have to think, is this thing going to bottom out? Is the bottom going to drop out of this thing? You know, am I going to have to go chase this thing at the bottom of the zone? Am I going to look like a fool swinging over the top of the curveball like Polanco did? Instead, it hangs there. The fastball sticks there and keeps coming at you. Then you've got to try to speed up your bat. Then you've got to try to catch up to it. And before you know it, McKenzie has blown a fastball by you at the top of the zone. That is huge. When a pitcher can do that, that's why the mechanics, that's why the tunneling, that's why the uh, you know the arm slot and all these things are important because it deceives the hitter so much. It takes them off your pitches. It makes them second guess. And if a hitter, as a hitter, if you second guess, For a split second, you're done. You're done for in the major leagues. You know, an old man softball, you know, on Sunday mornings, I can second guess for about 10 minutes while that pitch is coming in. I can take a look at where the outfielders are. That's why slow pitch softball is kind of a dumb sport sometimes. Uh, Because I literally have, you know, minutes to decide where I want to swing, where I want to put this ball. In major league baseball, you don't. You don't. You do not have a second you don't have a split second to decide because if you do, it's past you. You got to recognize it coming out of the pitcher's hand and you got to go aggressively at it. 
That's why hitting is so hard in Major League Baseball. There it is. That is the challenge right there. That's why I'm telling you, go follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter. You will not regret it. You will see he does such a good job of showing you exactly what you need to see on why these pitchers are so hard to hit. So that's what McKenzie was doing yesterday. Joe Ryan was getting his strikeouts down in the zone. Joe Ryan, he did have one high fastball that he got Harold Ramirez to swing through on a 1-2 count in the fifth. He had two change-ups down. He got Bradley Zimmer down there. Um, and he got Andres Jimenez down there. That was a called strike. Froze him on an 0-2 count. Probably thought, well, this guy's going to try to bury one on me. Nope, he drops one right at the bottom of the zone. Uh, gets Austin Hedges swinging through a uh, slider. Uh, down and away from Austin Hedges, and gets Fermil Reyes to chase a slider down and away as well. So he was doing it with his off-speed stuff yesterday. Going to the player breakdown, uh, let's take a look here. McKenzie, uh, decent CSW numbers. His best was his curveball, 50% CSW. He only threw it 12 times, but good CSW numbers on that. Uh, Three whiffs, three called strikes. Uh, 30% CSW on his slider, and then... uh, 21% 21% CSW on the fastball, but uh, did a good job with all his pitches. Total 29 CSW on the day. Uh, going for the Twins, Joe Ryan, he's CSW numbers. Everything is in the 30s or 40s. Uh, the fastball is at 32. He threw it 41 times. He was really leaning on his fastball. Uh, got a decent amount of called strikes on that. 10 called strikes. The foul balls helped him on that one, too. The slider, he had a 33% CSW, only threw it 12 times. The changeup, 9% CSW, or 9 times. He threw it 9 times, 33% CSW. Like we said, he got two strikeouts on the slider, two strikeouts on the changeup, and he mixed in some curveballs for a 40% CSW on those, but he only threw it five times. It's good for a 33% CSW total on the day. So Joe Ryan was definitely good. Getting a little more, you know, strikes, a little higher whiff rate than Tristan McKenzie was. But uh, overall, on the day, it's a pretty tight matchup. Now, what's fun here is that McKenzie pitched his last outing on uh, September 8th, also against the Minnesota Twins. So his line in this one, remember, six innings pitched, three hits, one run, no home runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. What was his line the last time he faced Minnesota on the 8th when he took the loss in that one? Took the win in this one, took the loss on the 8th. His line, six innings pitched, three hits, one run, no home runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Identical. Identical line. And that's where you'll still say wins and losses do not matter for starting pitchers. He pitched identical against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, in fact, against the Royals, it's almost an identical line. It's uh, his first pitch and his first start in September on the second against the Royals. He went six innings, only two hits that time, and one run, no home runs, one walk, and only six strikeouts compared to seven. So he has really been locked in for the month of September. Unfortunately, he's two and one. And in fact, he's gotten better from August to September. In August, a one nine three ERA. It's down to a 1-5-0 in September. Uh, four starts in August, three starts in September. Uh, his whip walks, hits per innings pitched. He was at a 0.50 in August, which is ridiculous. He's maintained that ridiculous number. It's a tick higher, 0.61, but still a fantastic whip. 
And the strikeouts, uh, the strikeouts, he is racking them up. He had 28 strikeouts to two walks in August. He's got 20 strikeouts to three walks in September. In August, they did get him for two home runs. No home runs given up so far for the month of September. So McKenzie is really locked in. Now, how did the Indians score their runs in this one? Well, it starts with a Bradley Zimmer monster shot in the fifth inning. Uh, the Twins did scratch across a run in the third. Uh, man, it feels like sometimes we're talking all pitching, don't we? Uh, so, yeah, so a, a single and then a double from Anderson Simmons. It gets past Harold Ramirez in left field. And he did what we were talking about a few days ago with the right fielders where just slide and knock down the ball, except he slid but didn't knock down the ball. It got past him. Then he has trouble getting up. Rortvent comes all the way around to score. Um yeah, so uh, Simmons delivers an RBI double there. Uh, they would challenge it, but he was safe. Then in the fifth inning, Bradley Zimmer, 113.4 miles per hour exit velocity, 451 feet to the seats out in right center field. And my God, he wanted that one. He slammed, he doesn't bat flip, he slams the bat down. So Bradley Zimmer with the big home run. And then the Indians would add some insurance runs in that seventh inning. Uh, after Bobby Bradley strikes out to start, uh, Harold Ramirez would hit a single right up the middle underneath Polanco's glove. Bradley Zimmer would walk. I believe Ramirez moved up to second anyways on a wild pitch. Zimmer walks. And then on the first pitch, Austin Hedges comes in and ropes a double 92.7 miles per hour into the left field corner. It looked like he may have got a home run for a second, and it drops off the wall uh, for a double. It brings in Harold Ramirez to score. They bring the infield in with runners on second and third, trying to cut off any more runs. And Yu Chang hits one hard enough to third base. It was only 88.8 mile per hour exit velocity. But with the infield in, I'm sure the third baseman, uh, who's playing third base for the Twins in this one, uh, they moved some guys around. So at third base, it was a rise at third base. Um, it must have felt like 100 miles per hour with him moved into the cut of the grass where he was. So he can't come up with a cleany, cleanly. It's a hard chopper that gets past him. He knocks it down, but it gets past him. That's just tough. When the infield comes in like that, that is just tough. So Chang gets the insurance run in. He gets Bradley Zimmer in from third. Hedges moves up. They got runners on the corner. Straw would fly out. Nobody could tag. And then Ahmed Rosario would strike out to end the threat. So Yu Chang, once again, the insurance run, a pinch hit insurance run for Yu Chang. Uh, so yeah, that would be all the Indians would need. Classe uh, would come in, of course, get a ground out from Max Kepler to start the uh, seventh. Strikes out Sano, and then gets Nick Gordon to line out to second to end the game. So a good first game for the Cleveland Indians. And Tristan McKenzie definitely takes home MVP for the day uh, for that start. Fantastic start from McKenzie. All right, game two. Game two would not go the Indians' way. Again, the final would be Minnesota 6, the Indians 3. This time, it's Logan Allen going up against Charlie Barnes. Neither starting pitcher really that locked in. Logan Allen cannot make it out of the fourth inning. He was looking good until that fourth inning, and things really got away from him. Uh, Barnes also goes four innings. Uh, for Logan Allen, it's three and two-thirds, seven hits, four earned runs, one walk, three strikeouts on 63 pitches. It was only hard hit four times. Charlie Barnes, 
four innings pitched, four hits, three earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts on 71 pitches. He was hard hit six times. So the Indians put up three runs in that third inning. And you're thinking to yourself, man, we we might sweep a doubleheader. It's been a long time since the Indians have swept a doubleheader. You got to go all the way back to 2020 the last time the Indians have swept a doubleheader. I was looking it up back in May. Remember, we played back-to-back doubleheaders on the May 30th and May 31st against Toronto and Chicago. Uh, we split both of those doubleheaders. Then to end June, on June 30th, we got swept by the Tigers. On July 7th, we got swept by Tampa Bay. And now we split this doubleheader against Minnesota. So it was all the way at the beginning of the 2020 season when we swept the White Sox in a doubleheader. So uh, jumping back into this one here. So the Indians put together a nice rally in that third inning. Uh, Roberto Perez would start with a ground out. Mercado would get a single. Uh, Miles Straw would ground out, but Mercado would move up to second. And then Ahmed Rosario would pound a double off the right center field wall, 105.8 mile per hour exit velocity, 403 feet out there to right center field. Most parks, that's probably a home run, uh, but it goes off the feet, off the fence uh, for a double for him, an RBI double. Jose Ramirez would follow that up. He would get a changeup on a 3-2 count. And the Fox Sports 1 announcers were thinking, why are you pitching to Jose Ramirez with a base open? But he hits one 107.6 miles per hour into the left field corner, and it scores Ahmed Rosario. Then Fermil Reyes follows that up by just flaring out a single into left field. It was one of those ones where you're thinking to yourself, oh, no, did I get too much of this? Did I I carry? Is it going to carry to the left fielder? Nope, it drops. Drops in front of the left fielder. And Jose Ramirez with a great jump off the bat. And he comes in to score. So, good job by the Indians putting together a little rally here in the th- a good rally, a solid rally here in the third inning. Four hits in that third inning. Well, it would be short lived uh, because in the fourth inning for the Minnesota Twins, this is where the game falls apart. So, Polanco would start with a single to lead off the inning after Josh Donaldson flies out. Miguel Sano follows up with another single. All right, so you got two runners on now. Ref Snyder would line out, so uh, things would be looking okay. I forget how they moved up, but both runners did move up. Polanco and Sano were on second and third when Jeffers comes up, and Jeffers hammers a double 103.5 miles per hour uh, into the corner, and both runs come in to score. Williams, Williams Astadio follows that up. He goes opposite field over uh, Fermil Reyes' head, who was out there in right field, letting Jose Ramirez DH. Astadio gets one over his head. Would Zimmer or Mercado have come up with the ball? Eh, maybe not. This ball did carry almost all the way to the wall. Uh, he took a bad route on it. You know, didn't really seem to know where it was going to go. But I'm not sure anybody really catches this ball. It did have an expected batting average of 160. So I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe the Zimmer would have. Uh, but yeah, so it's a double over his head. It brings in Jeffers to score. And then uh, Nick Gordon immediately follows this up with a 101.1 mile per hour single. Uh, after literally Carl Zimmer just came out to talk to Logan Allen, the first pitch, Nick Gordon hits 101. mile per hour single back up uh, through the infield and Ostadio comes in to score. So they then have to go to the bullpen 
and we get an Andrelton Simmons ground out to end the threat. But it's too late. Four runs have already come across. And I have no idea why they were leaving Logan Allen in this game. Why leave Logan Allen in this game? You have, all right, you just had an off day. You have a completely fresh bullpen. You only used Classe in that first game. So nobody else threw. You got everybody available to you. Why let Logan Allen hang in there after Jeffers hammers the double off him? You could have gone and got him. After Estadio ties the game up, you could have gone and got him. Instead, they leave him in to face Nick Gordon. They figure, well, we got a lefty on a lefty here. And Nick Gordon singles on the very first pitch. I don't know what you were waiting for. It really felt like a situation where DeMarlo Hale made the wrong decision. Made the wrong decision to leave Logan Allen in this game. I would have gone and got him. He had given you a decent start. It was a short, it was a condensed seven-inning game. Maybe if it's a nine-inning game, it's different. You want to see if your guy can work out of it, if he can go deeper into this game. But with a seven-inning game, all you're asking the bullpen to cover is three and a third. That's all you're asking from your bullpen. So I thought it was a bad decision by DeMarlo Hale to leave Logan Allen out there. Now, with that being said, Logan Allen, I mean, was pitching good for the first few innings. The difference between Logan Allen and Tristan McKenzie, though, is like a lot of lefties, there is this definite plane to his pitches. He is not filling up all four quadrants. He tried to go uh, up and into the righties uh, a little bit and, you know, down and into the lefties or away from the righties. He tried a couple times. He just couldn't locate there. There's a bunch of fastballs that are up and into the righties that just aren't located in the strike zone. Same thing. There's a changeup, a fastball, a curveball that he's trying to throw to the outside corner. Just can't find that corner. Everything goes from the top right corner to the bottom left corner from the catcher's view. And when you know that a guy is going to try most of his pitches are pounding into that bottom left corner, into the righties. Um, When you know that's where a guy's going, you can kind of sit down there. And that's kind of what happens here. We can go inning by inning and take a look at where he's locating. And in the first inning, he's throwing a lot of curveballs, a lot of fastballs all over. Was really effective, actually, with the high fastball, getting a couple strikeouts up there. In the second inning... Uh, It's more of the same, actually. He does not go to the slider very often. Only two sliders in that inning. He's doing a good job of keeping things below the zone with the changeup and the curveball. Getting some foul balls. Getting some swing and miss here. Uh, Not too many on these pitches below the zone. Um, Throwing fastballs down and in hard. Um, So, yeah. So... He does a decent job in the second inning, obviously a clean inning, doesn't give up any runs. In the third inning, more of the same. He did throw two sliders that he missed with way in, but a lot of fastballs in this inning. I mean, really efficient in this inning. Only threw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pitches to get through that third inning. Then in the fourth inning, he starts really relying on that slider, and they really start hammering that ball. In fact, let's take a look at where all the hits were, uh, in play, no out, and in play, run scored. And most of these are uh, those pitches down and into the righties and away from the lefties. They're all located in the exact same quadrant. 
So if you're telling me that these Twins hitters didn't know where these pitches were coming, um, the ball that Jeffers hammers into the corner is a curveball down and in on the inside edge of the plate. Actually left it up a little bit so Jeffers could hammer this ball. Uh, all of these things are in the strike zone here. Polanco got a fastball that he hit 93 miles per hour. That was uh, for, for I believe, Polanco's a, Polanco's a lefty, right? So this would have been, or is Polanco a switch hitter? Let's take a look at this really quick. I can't remember. Uh, but anyways, he gets a fastball. He is a switch hitter. So he was hitting right-handed here. And uh, then two sliders, one to Sano and one to Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon is a lefty. He was able to... He still knew where that slider was coming. These Twins hitters knew exactly where these pitches were coming. The only one that's not located at the bottom left corner of the zone is Ostadio's uh, double. It was a fastball up and away to Ostadio that he goes opposite field with. So that's just a good approach from Ostadio there. Everything else, we know where it's coming. Now, uh, Logan Allen is someone who, uh, when he's had trouble with the fastball, has relied on the slider. I think it let him down in this one. The fastball actually had decent CSW numbers. He had a 31% CSW through it 26 times. The curveball he was doing okay with, 25% CSW. Didn't get any called strikes, but got a 50% whiff rate on the curveball. Four whiffs on eight swings. The slider, 0% whiff rate, 14% CSW. Uh, They put six in play. Nine swings on a slider, zero whiffs. So you think they knew where that pitch was coming? You got to be able to throw it to both sides of the plate. You have to. 14% CSW, 0% whiff rate on that slider. So it's not good. It's only a 27% CSW on the day for Logan Allen. I did notice that Allen was going with a different windup. I don't know if this is, have you noticed? Have you noticed since he's been back that that windup is different? He isn't doing the thing where he pushes the hands out, brings them back in, then goes to the mound. He's standing more with his hips squared to the plate, and it's... Man, it looks like it's just a very bizarre short windup now that looks like someone who would start with a big, like, Paul Bird, old-school windup. That's what he looks like he's starting in, and then he goes with the tight, compact, almost pitching out of the stretch windup that most of these guys are using these days. So it's an interesting new windup from Logan Allen. It at least shows me, like, I I like things like this because it shows me that they were working on something. Like, there's something visual that we could say, yeah, he's definitely changed something from that time down in AAA to the time he's come back now. He's got a whole new windup. So he's been working hard. I thought, you know, he pitched okay to start this game. He was very efficient to start this game. I think Hale left him in too long, and I think, frankly, he's got to be able to throw the slider to the multiple quadrants and the plate. He's got to. He's got to use all four quadrants. Otherwise, him and Sam Hedges, frankly, falls into this category, too. They get very predictable out there. And what did we just talk about with McKenzie, right? That split second of, of deception, that split second that that batter has to make a decision is the difference between striking out and getting a hit. Well, with Logan Allen, they don't have that. They don't have that split second of doubt. They knew where those pitches were going in that fourth inning, and they absolutely hammered him. They would also add more runs in the sixth inning. Um, in the sixth inning, it would be a big two-run home run. Going back to the scoreboard here, um, I believe this is still uh, Trevor Steffen in to pitch this sixth inning. And uh, oh, I'm on the wrong game. 
Let's flip over to game two. And yes, it is still Trevor Steffen in trying to finish this thing out. Um, Trevor Steffen gives up a double to Rob Refsnyder, 105.7 miles per hour, and then gives up a home run to Ryan Jeffers. So Jeffers, the big, I'm sure he gets MVP for the day for the Minnesota fans. Um, a double and a home run, a ton of RBIs on this day for Jeffers. His final line on this day was three for three with four RBIs and two runs scored, including the double and the home run. And uh, not only a home run, but he hit somebody's like target sign out in center field, which is kind of fun. Um, they reviewed it in case there was any fan interference, but the ball was way out of here. 426 feet out there to center field. Jeffers has done pretty good against Indians pitching this season. He, uh, he's got his fifth best OPS. Some of these are outliers, though. Cardinals, he only faced them in one game. The Baltimore Orioles, he only faced them in one game and homered against them. Uh, the Reds, he's faced three times. But, uh, yeah, the, the Tigers and the Indians, he's got really good OPS numbers, really good slugging percentages off of both of his central division foes. So he's hitting, he's slugging 915 off the Cleveland Indians on this season, including two doubles and two homers. He's hitting 276 against us on the season. So he's having a pretty good season against the Cleveland Indians in nine games now. So uh, yeah, Jeffers does the damage and the Indians offense doesn't really have an answer for the Twins bullpen. Um, coming out of the bullpen for the Twins was Bearclaw, uh, who goes an inning, two strikeouts. Manaya goes an inning, does give up a hit, but that's it. Colome gives up a hit, but a strikeout and ends things in the seventh inning on only 11 pitches. So the Indians put up a decent fight in this second game, but the offense kind of sputters out, runs out of gas. And yeah, I mean, we were held to six hits in that game. Uh, in the first game, it was only six hits as well. So six hits and three runs. That's what the Indians had in them for both games. Uh, MVP on the day in the second game. Ah, oh boy. Uh, nobody really did much. Nobody really did much in this game. Oof. This is a tough one here. Uh, I guess I'll give it to Ahmed Rosario. Got the scoring started. Uh, so he gets it in the second game, although there's not much to go on here. Nobody had a multi-hit game. Uh, no big home runs. Not a great pitching performance from Logan Allen or Trevor Steffen. He got caught in the middle of the zone a couple times to give up his big hits. Um, and Sam Hentges came in and finished off that sixth inning uh, with a strikeout. So, uh, yeah. That is the final in the second one. Once again, the Indians split. It's disappointing for Logan Allen in this second game. He started very well, and it just all fell apart for him in that fourth inning. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I'm getting out of here. It was a lot of baseball to talk today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation about Tristan McKenzie and his deception and his pitch tunneling and all that good stuff, all that good information about pitching we have out there right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the finale of this series. We've got Quantrill going on the mound against Jax for the Twins. Uh, Jax is 3-3 three three with a 6-7-2 ERA. So let's see if the Indians can do more than six hits, more than three runs, 
when they play all nine innings. Uh, Quantrill looking for possibly his sixth win on the season. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. It's been a while since we've gotten a voicemail for anybody, so feel free to call in with your end-of-season thoughts. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and hopefully have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.